Scott! And no, I'm not talking about Sean Connery, who is a great Scottish man. Get it? You get it. It's Back to the Future, but how do I know that this episode is Back to the Future? Well, because I'm from the future. Time travel was discovered during this episode, and I am the proof. I traveled to all the exciting moments in history. I tried Jesus' wine, which was really watery. I crank-called Alexander Graham Bell, but the reception was garbage. I even got to see how I die. And honestly, best part of the trip. I give my death two thumbs way up. I never would have guessed there'd be so many snakes. What more could you ask for? Well, I guess you could ask me to start the show, so I'll just go ahead and do that right now. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Bad, 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 bad science. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh. Today, we have a very exciting show. We have Doug Benson here from Getting Doug with High. Doug loves movies. Hey, everybody. Yeah, there he is. See, I wasn't lying. Yeah. Uh, We also have Robert Hurt, who is a visualization scientist at Caltech's IPAC. Uh, You can say IPAC. Hi, everyone. Okay, great. What's IPAC uh, stand for or something? IPAC used to stand for something, but like Prince, it is now just a symbol. It is a uh, science and data center for astrophysics and space science, which in no way spells out IPAC. Oh, okay. Very interesting. And just as funky and groovy as Prince. Uh, We also have Christoph Ullemann. I said that right? That was right. You are a string theorist from the Baumic Institute for Theoretical Physics at UCLA. That sounds good. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Back to the Future, which is what we're talking about here today. One of your favorite films. Is that correct? I do enjoy it quite a bit, and uh, it's fun to think of it as a science film. Sure. Some would call it an incest movie. That's true. I but, uh, talk about that, too. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of labels you could throw on that thing. It's it's quite the hybrid. Yeah. And uh, But just, I, I don't know anybody that dislikes it. I mean, you, you know, you could disagree with the science all you want. Sure. <laughs> but, but if you dislike it, I feel like there is something a, wrong with it. It's still a fun movie. But that's a question I have for both of these gentlemen out of the gate yeah. is how often do you see things where the inaccurate science in entertainment uh, bothers you? Mm. Like, are you easily bothered by it? Maybe um, what, what bothers me more than inaccurate science is if the movie is in itself inconsistent. If ah, somehow the, uh, the, the science of, of the movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. Once they lay out what the assumptions are that you have to buy and you have to be happy with them, and then you go from there, everything develops and unfolds in a consistent way, then right. I am happy. And I think actually the Back to the Future movie does a nice job on that. Yeah, there, there's a few times where they do break their own rules, but I will agree with you. As long as you're setting out, you're stating your rules, we'll all jump on board. But once you start breaking those rules, it feels like, okay, now what, yeah. are, you, you know, what are you doing it's here? It's very complicated and, and incredibly tight at the same time. Yes. You know, Doc Brown gets a lot of information out, out of his mouth uh, all the time, especially in the uh, first part of the movie, but how do how do you feel in general about these sorts of things? Well, truth is, the um, the opportunities to point at places where they got science right are so infrequent most of the time in film that you can kind of do it on one hand. But uh, I've developed a kind of a thick skin for that, and as long as it's done with a, a good spirit of fun, and more importantly, when you you know look at things like Star Trek, which has a lot of science, but very little of it is you know kind of real science. Does it does the science get in a way that kind of is inspiring and and fun, and, and it makes you want to know the real 
truth behind what's going on, even if what you saw in the movie was exaggerated. Because yeah. from what I understand, talking to writers, they, they kind of think that real science is boring because it doesn't play out on dramatically interesting time scales for a narrative right. where everything has to be on a little <laughs> countdown for yeah. the last 10 seconds before you make a discovery. I feel like we could honestly do like 10 podcast episodes just on this film. There's a lot to get to, a lot of meat here on the bone, if you will. Um, so I want to play a clip here. We have a segment called Carl Say Again. Carl Say Again? Um, so in, in a lot of these sci-fi films, there's a lot of jargon. There's always a part where the scientist is just spewing off some crap that nobody really understands. Um, so here's the clip that I found from Back to the Future, and then hopefully you guys can help us break it down. Ah, uh, Marty, here's what we gotta do. Uh. <laughs> this is, uh... This is heavy duty, Doc. This is great. Uh, does it run like on, on regular unleaded gasoline? Unfortunately, no. It requires something with a little more kick. Plutonium. Uh, plutonium. Wait a minute. Are you, are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Hey, 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 keep rolling. Keep rolling there. No, 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 no. This sucker's electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity I need. Doc, you don't just walk into a store and, and buy plutonium. All right. So... First of all, so fantastic. Uh, just a really entertaining way to get that information out there. Um, so secondly, they're talking about plutonium. Plutonium, uh, all honesty, is something I know absolutely nothing about. Totally zero. Uh, I don't know how much you guys know. Um, but it's probably safer to not know too much about it if oh. you're not trained. Okay, great. So yeah, not trained. And also you'd be getting it from really bad people. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's true. I'd have to steal it from nationalists. Um, so... A, how much power is that, 1.21 gigawatts, or gigawatts if you prefer? Well, yeah, for just just right up, since you played the quote, right, I mm -hmm. personally don't know of a single scientist who says gigawatts any right. more than you talk about how many gigabytes are in your computer. So, <laughs> okay. That, and that, that's true all the way back to when that movie first came out and I sat there, I'm like, gigawatts? Yeah, really? I, I heard, I don't know if this is uh, true, but I did uh, in, in some of my research find out that when... Uh, Zemeckis and, and Bob Gale, the writers of the film, were researching uh, some science crap. They saw some foreign scientist talking about gigawatts, and he was saying it wrong because he didn't really know English, and so they thought that's how you properly say ah, it. Ah, that's it. So that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. But so anyways, how much power is that, A, and B... Uh, is that really what plutonium looks like, acts like? Because I also noticed, I don't know if this is true or if it was for dramatic effect, but they had it in one of the, it's like a, it's like a capsule. It's like red liquid surrounded by clear liquid. And then the red liquid like disappears. So I just had no idea if that was accurate or not. Wow, there's a lot to unpack in this. <laughs> okay, okay, take your time. Well, let's take the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> I, I, I am not we'll aware... we over here. <laughs> I'll be hanging out, drinking coffee. I'm definitely not aware of any form of plutonium where it can be turned into a liquid suspension. It's a Plutonium mm. is a very, very dense metal, and I... Oh. I what you would have to do to somehow liquefy plutonium into a, 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 a transparent uh, fluid, uh, that's that's probably the, the bigger sci-fi element of the movie than, than time Whoa. travel. Uh, that would be my spin on it. But, so okay. it's like movie plutonium. Like this, When you're watching the movie, you're just like, oh, that's just a silly prop that they decided to make, they decided to make it look like that. Yeah. Uh, th there is some motivation, um, at least conceptually, to have it in a, a, a fluid 
surrounded container, right? Because, you know, you, you look at nuclear power plants, you use heavy water to stabilize the nuclear reactions. You drop the fuel pods, right? right you, I've okay. actually stood over a nuclear reactor once at a, a university, a small reactor, and you could look down and you could see a glow, a blue glow in the water around mm. the, uh, the the control rods because um, the water actually can slow down the neutrons. It, 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 it's a way of protecting yourself from uh, neutron radiation. Whoa. So, uh, however, I think you need to have more than, you know, like a couple inches of it around the plutonium to be an effective protection okay, but against the radiation. Still but. somewhat realistic, I guess, is what you're saying, yeah. that there is some validity to... Uh, it's, yeah, a little conceptual uh, validity to that idea. It's a little I, head, you know, a, a hat tip uh, I think, towards science. I think the harder part of all that uh, uh, scene is to try to justify how you can build an actual nuclear reactor that will take the heat from the plutonium. I mean, basically, a nuclear reactor is just a really giant fancy way of taking a uh, heat source, which is the, the radioactive decay from the uranium, you know, usually creating the plutonium as a, a byproduct. I mean, uranium is usually Usually, what's used to power the plant, and the plutonium is the byproduct used to make things go. Okay, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's basically you're using that to boil water, to generate steam, and then just run old-fashioned turbines, just like you get in a dam or or, or a coal-fired power plant. It's hmm. really the the uranium uh, is just the the source of heat. And you still have to run it through a mechanism that generates steam, and then now you're back to you know, like you know, 1800s, 1700s technologies in order to uh, to actually generate the power at that point. So so he's somehow made a really nice, tight, little, efficient power generator that can create you know gigawatts of power in, in you know like a something the size of a bread box, so with or without the plutonium as a power source. It's so. very impressive, and I love how you said gigawatts. I know. Well, <laughs> we are talking back to the future. So. That's true. Well, Doug, you have something? Jigga what? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, okay, so this how, this. how had I never thought of that in all the years since I saw that movie? Oh. I think I saw Bonus it somewhere, points. But yeah. Bonus points. Uh, I just kind of took some of the other maybe we'll t- tap on touch on some of the other words but I just took a lot of what Doc Brown was saying he's just being completely made up <laughs> you know like it didn't right. matter really yeah you know it's, the story is about the ti- time travel and then all the the consequences like the guys that made yeah. that that wrote that movie Zemeckis and Gale like uh, they've made a bunch of movies where it's just these big uh, kind of elaborate puzzles that are also comedies mm-hmm. like so all these things have to happen and everything has to come into place and that was their screenplay that uh, Back to the Future many people point to it as a you know one of the greatest screenplays ever yeah. because because of how complicated it was when they did it in their other movies people would go this is not this does not <laughs> <Doesn't> work, work. <laughs> yeah you're like 1941 they did that and they did uh, uh, used, used cars, cars which I love I love yeah, that movie very funny um, so I, I had a I had an issue and you know you guys tell me I, I don't know what experiments that you've done and, and what risks you put yourself in or co-workers but I was a little alarmed at the scene where he's testing for the first time ever the the time machine with Einstein in the car and he stands directly in front of the car uh, I presumably because he has a death wish or he's suicidal I'm not sure what the implication is there but he like brings Marty and they're both standing there it's almost uh, maybe narcissistic or like braggadocious, like I know this is going to work, but he also says that like nothing he ever invents works. So I guess my question to you guys as scientists is like, 
do you purposefully take every safety precaution possible? Because it doesn't seem like he's doing that. No, as someone who does not do experiments, I really liked that scene. It was, uh, I mean, <laughs> for, for its absurdity, yeah. this guy who is apparent, I mean, he is not portrayed as a very successful scientist. He's a little nuts. Right. And he is himself surprised how things are working. But when it comes to that, all his excitement, and he actually pulls Marty towards him, right? Yes. Marty is like, okay, I want to get, get out, out of here. here. Yeah. But, but he's like, well, no, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. And, uh, well, it works in the movie, so I guess it's okay. I feel like they have these moments of, because it is a comedy, and there, there are these, these moments of, uh, you know, not, not necessarily jokes. It's not like a setup and a punchline, like, you know, like the heavy comment where Marty says, like, oh, this is heavy. And he says, was there something wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull? Like, that's right. very clearly a joke for the audience. Yeah. But then there's all these moments where it's, like, just dramatic tension jokes, which I feel like they do really well. So I think if they're just standing nearby and the car just shoots across the lot and disappears, it's not as exciting. Totally. Uh, for the viewer, but it is uh, completely idiotic that I never even <laughs> thought about it until now. It's so silly. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's really uh, other strange. than just from a you know dramatic and in a shot point of view, like yes, because it is a it's a very well crafted movie. Yeah. So they must have figured I mean, out that people just. You know, would just find it boring to just see the car just disappear. Like it has to almost hit something. It's just one of those things. But it should have been a wall. Yeah. You know, like there oh, should have yeah, been a yeah. wall there, and everybody like, "Holy shit, he's gonna run that dog into a wall." <laughs> yeah, that's good. Or off I a mean, cliff. it's bad enough that the dog is in there. If the movie came out now, Peta would be extremely upset about that. Yes. Very Never true. leave your dog in the car for any reason. I also heard that they <laughs> randomly didn't use a dog in some of those shots. That it was a person in a dog suit, which I thought was super strange. Don't want to hurt the dog. It looks really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess they had to, you know, actually kind of do it uh, back then. You know, they didn't, the effects practical. Weren't, yeah, the like effects I, weren't there yet. I, I, you know, it is definitely more dramatic from a storytelling point of view. But I definitely think that standing in front of your first test of a time machine does not uh, meet OSHA safety standards yeah. and mm -hmm. would not be a, a condoned lab practice. Because I, I don't know, my experience is that scientists typically are cowardly and very self-protective. Right. And <laughs> very few are so completely arrogant as to assume that their first test of a piece of equipment is so reliably going to work the way they do that they would even vaguely put themselves in any physical harm. Yes, yes. I mean, they do, I guess, slightly explain that Doc is your, you know, not your typical scientist, that he's a little off the wall, but I mean... He's crazy. Yeah. He's an insane he person. Is, <laughs> he is... <laughs> He is endangering the life of a teenager that he knows for God what reason. Yep. God knows what reason. No one knows. <laughs> and this dog, which is like the only friend that he has, I guess, besides Marty. Yeah. I mean, that, that movie could have gone a completely different way. And he's just a complete lunatic who right. really, really ruins Marty's life. <laughs> Instead we, of giving him an amazing adventure. We, uh, we found uh, in our research, and maybe we'll post it online or something, this uh, video that someone edited where <laughs> he puts Marty in the time machine. And then as soon as uh, it gets struck by lightning and he's supposed to go back to the future, it just explodes and Marty died. And then it's just like D Doc is just shocked and it says the end. And uh, man, I must have watched it like five times. <laughs> very, very funny. Um, I, th I think let's let's actually call Doc an inventor. I, I actually think Doc uh, is 
more of an inventor than a scientist. Okay. He's, a, he's an inventor who has some incredible scientific epiphanies right. that once in a while are right. <laughs> uh, as we recall, the, the brain read transfer device actually was a complete no-go. So, right? Yes, the, that did not that work. Point. So I think we can assume that most of his science insights actually don't pan out. But but the flux yeah. capacitor, he, he stumbled on that one. They, That's the other one, flux capacitor. I thought that was completely made up. Yeah, I think it is completely made up. I'm yeah, sure. so gigawatts and flux, flux capacitor. <laughs> Does that fit into string theory at all? Do you use uh, flux capacitors in any of your formulations? Yeah, I thought about that. I'm not sure how to fit that in. What is it? What is an interesting piece uh, of <laughs> trivia is when uh, Marty goes back to 1955 and he meets Doc and convinces him that he actually invents something which works, and Doc is very excited, right. shows him uh, a piece of paper which has his sketch of the flux capacitor. It actually says flux compressor on it. <laughs> so oh, apparently wow. even the name even... is not agreed upon. That's why he can stand in front of it and grabs Marty is because he already knows that it works. Oh, because he was told in the past. <laughs> We just figured it out. <laughs> uh, but now, God, now that opens up a whole other can of worms. Right? The, yeah, is, yeah. It, is this a predestination paradox movie? Yeah. Or is it an actual time alteration? Because the thing is, his Marty's future is changed once he changes oh, the yeah. past. Right. But the question is, was the doc who got shot initially by the Libyans, uh, yeah, I guess yeah. that was the, the, the terrorist du jour yes. of the 1980s, yeah. uh, uh, right? Did he, Was he actually wearing the bulletproof vest? I don't think he was. I think he was actually dead because he didn't mm. know to put the bulletproof vest on until it went back, which then sadly does not salvage the Marty-Professor uh, relationship like, like you, I think, were angling toward that there was actual reason he knew he had to hang out with this kid for completely I, non I, creepy I reasons. Oh, no, I just meant that he could stand in front of it and get not, and uh, not get oh, run yeah. over. Right. So anyway, a few other uh, questions here. When the car gets traveled through time, <laughs> it's a very weird way of saying that, uh, it becomes very icy. It becomes covered in ice, uh, only sometimes. But again, this is getting nitpicky. A few times it doesn't for some reason when it ends up at the barn in 1955 and at the end, it's not icy. They don't explain that. But whatever. Let's just say it is always icy. Does that make sense? Do you guys think that, you know, because what we were thinking was that maybe because something to do with space, that it has to travel in space and space is freezing cold or does that not work? Space isn't cold. That's another really <laughs> major misconception in pretty much every sci-fi film I've ever seen that involves space. Okay. Okay. Space isn't cold or hot. Space is actually a really good insulator, you know. Great. Like, so if you're listening to this uh, and if you thought space was cold, you're an idiot. I don't know what you were thinking, but that's <laughs> you not true. About the yeah, the weather cold. in space, the weatherman says, today it's spongy. <laughs> 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 today you'll feel like you're floating on air. That's right. Uh, so no, I guess. So yeah. just. Well, I mean, if, if space were so cold, why isn't the Earth completely frozen over? Because the Earth sits in space. A great point. Mm. Yeah. I think I... I think he wins that argument. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to come back. <laughs> I'm not going to try and retort. I guess since the uh, the car just disappears and comes back and we don't see what's happening in between, you don't know where it goes, right? Right. It might go straight into your fridge. Um, okay. So Whoa. And it might also be uh, in some of the years they go to, it might be uh, chillier than others. Hey, there you go. Well, I might mean, it might be, you know, early winter because it isn't always October. 
That's right. The date's like October 23, I think. That's yeah, you'd true. still have to spend a fair amount of time in that winter to get the ice on it, right? That's uh, yeah. it's a it's a there could be a whole psychedelic, you know, uh, uh, 2001 style visual light effect that goes on during the time travel that somehow missed that cut of the movie that we saw where all the ice builds up, but uh, that's maybe true. the car comes in wet, you know, and it just comes in on one of those really cold nights. <laughs> Ice is up instantly. <laughs> That's well, true. The, 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 the best awesome. angle I got on that is that if time travel really is like this 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 energy intensive thing, and that it's like somehow that that act of jumping through time requires a lot of power, right? Yeah. Like heat is a form of power, right? Right. Cold isn't a thing. Cold is just an absence of heat. Mm-hmm. So if the act of sending that car through time somehow has to absorb energy out of the process, absorbing energy out of the car would then make it really really cold. And then if it returns in a place that has high humidity, then something that's really cold would immediately like build up an icy shell. So that oh. actually could maybe explain why maybe it was much more humid in the parking lot when they get shot because it was rain. Ah, it had rained. There was water on the ground. <laughs> like when they're in the parking lot, there's all these beautiful reflections. I remember noticing that. Yeah, because every movie does that because it just looks cooler. But They're when, always wetting down the streets at night shoots. Exactly. But <laughs> when it goes back it. to the farm, right, it wasn't <laughs> raining. And so there wasn't uh, there was lower humidity. Gotcha. So maybe that's why it didn't ice up. Okay. So maybe it was still cold, that. but it didn't get icy. Another coincidence is he seems to get icy whenever he's traveling into the future and not when he's traveling into the past. Oh. Perhaps there are different mechanisms involved. Yeah, except that we only see him travel into the future to the same night. And the dog. Oh, right. And, the, yeah, the one-minute dog. And the one-minute dog. But that's all <laughs> happening on that same night after the rainstorm. <laughs> the one-minute so. dog. Marty, I got a one-minute dog. <laughs> I have one more uh, one more question here, and then we got to take a break, and then we'll be right back with uh, with the more hard science oh, stuff. Man. I got a oh, small, I got a small question from Back to the Future. If you need it, if it, what? Yeah, go. Um, Hit it. You know, in the beginning, when he uh, blows out his speakers and it knocks him across the room. Yes, is that possible? So, okay, for a blown I'll, out speaker to lift a person. I'll chime in, in first. I mean, Michael uh, J. Fox is small. I've played a lot of uh, guitar in my life with uh, all sorts of amps. And so I had a little problem with the fact that there was no feedback before he strums. I feel like if you turn an amp way up and you have your guitar next to it, that thing is going to be loud as all hell before you do anything. So I thought that was a That's little bit legit. weird. That's yeah. legit. Yeah, that was a little weird. But secondly, I don't think, and you guys tell me what you think, I don't think that it would physically move you backward. I think it would probably blow your ears out, and, and Marty would be deaf. So this little, like, funny <laughs> beginning experiment in the movie would result in Marty being <laughs> deaf the being entire trilogy. character, explain why Doc is yelling all the time. <laughs> Marty can't hear shit. <laughs> Ooh, that's why he also is very uh, susceptible to Doc's ideas and, and yeah. plans. He just doesn't want Nobody likes bother. him because they can't talk to him. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to bother listening to people anymore, so he just goes with his first plan. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I think. Uh, I think it would pro- it would blow the speaker. That makes sense, and it would probably deafen him. But I don't think it would blow him backwards. Thoughts? Well, I mean, sound waves are compression waves, right? They uh, yeah, basically a sound wave is just a pulse of pressure that runs through the air. So with a sufficiently large speaker, with a sufficiently large force applied, it could create a very high pressure pulse of, 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 you know, of air that rushed through. The, the trick is it wouldn't just blow Marty into the other side. It would blow everything in the room would be smashed to the side. Yeah. And yes, I can't imagine any version of that sound pulse that did not leave him permanently deaf <laughs> uh, if that was in fact where right. how much ended up there but uh, yeah. yeah despite the fact that he is playing a string instrument 
I'm not sure what I can say in that. <laughs> That's the <laughs> oh string theory joke. Love it. <laughs> That's the first thing that he'd do with time travel is go back to before the dumb guitar thing and <laughs> put some put some earplugs in, put some, right? Or stand on the other side of the speakers. <laughs> yeah, or maybe point turn the, it to six. Point them away. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's great. Yeah, he he really didn't give himself a lot of time in that movie. You know, he even when he says, "Oh, I've got all the time in the world here. I'll give five minutes." Like, yeah. dude. Like, I think that's another uh, really good comedic. Uh, mechanism that they used because it's not supposed to again it's not that's not like a punchline joke but it's so funny that there's this like highly tense situation it's really dramatic he gets in the car it you know it starts not to work or whatever and then he's like I don't have any time Doc is gonna die what am I gonna do oh I have a time machine so as the audience you respond and you're like oh thank god he's figuring it out he has a time machine he can do whatever he wants and then he hits you with 10 minutes should be enough. And it's like, no, no, Marty. <laughs> it's not enough. <laughs> we, we are never led to believe that Marty is a very smart human. It's true. Oh, I know. He's already wearing that jacket with no sleeves. <laughs> yeah, the life you preserver. You know, that puffy coat thing. It's, uh, it's But nobody points brutal. it out. Nobody nobody ever tells Marty, like, besides uh, what's Strickland or whatever, the... the the, the guy at the school who tells him you're a slacker, wise up, but he's even looked at as like an evil character. But nobody on the side of good tells Marty like, hey man, think a little bit, take your time. What are you doing? Why don't you, you know, look at all these mistakes you've been making lately, man. You know, he's just looked at as really cool. He's always frazzled and confused. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we will be right back. We're going to get into the hardcore science uh, portion of our show after this break. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. All right. We are back. I'm very excited to get to this next uh, section here. I have a few questions that uh, may stump you guys. I don't know. Maybe you'll have uh, terrific answers, but I'm sure we'll learn something along the way. Uh, this first part I'm calling Back in Time. Actually, we were all singing that during the commercial break. Gotta get back in time. So I'm glad, I'm glad it shows the title. Um, yeah, so world-renowned physicist Stephen Hawking proposed that the laws of physics forbid anyone from traveling back in time. Uh, and some people say that maybe wormholes, as we mentioned before, can be used to travel back in time. Well, okay, maybe first of all, when one wants to explain a little bit what the idea of a wormhole is. Please. Uh, the basic idea is if you can, you could imagine a, a sheet of paper and you want to travel from one end to the other. It takes a lot of time if the, paper, the sheet of paper is pretty large. What you could imagine is folding it over so that the two halves don't quite touch. And now you poke a hole through it where sort of a bridge between the upper half and the lower half. Okay. If you had a connection like that, you would basically be able to travel from the upper, from the upper sheet of the paper to the lower half in much less time than it would take you to go around. Right. So that's a nice way to make... Uh, it's like to a shortcut. Make, it's a shortcut. Yeah. Uh, so that's a nice way to make uh, travel to uh, faraway places possible in principle. Okay. Uh, but we're not traveling time yet. <laughs> that's where it all um, gets, uh, gets a little more tricky and a little more speculative. But are you saying that traveling via wormhole in the same time period is possible? Like we can use wormholes eventually to go from here to a faraway distance very quickly? It would be very difficult. They need very, very delicate conditions, uh, if possible at all, okay. uh, to be stable. Let's say you had a wormhole. You had a space-time with a wormhole in it. Mm -hmm. The issue which you have to uh, worry about is, can you actually jump through it without destroying the whole thing? 
Without destroying the wormhole? Or the destroying wormhole. Oh, okay. The stability of the wormhole is the issue which you have to address, and that mm. is a very tricky one. Okay. For that, you need very special conditions. It is not, uh, by, by mathematical fact, impossible, um, but it is tough. <laughs> okay. Tough, but not impossible. So, but, but... I think there's still another problem you run into. If you really can use, if you can make a stable wormhole, don't you still run into the problem where space travel kind of becomes the same thing as time travel, right? Because in when you look at general relativity, there one of the things you kind of, the, 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 one of the concepts you've got to throw out as not actually being meaningful anymore is the idea of simultaneity. You know, the idea that when two events occur at the same, quote, time in two different, locations in the universe that somehow you can say those two events are simultaneous because as you move at different speeds and go in different directions, sometimes events that look simultaneous to one observer happen at different times to another observer. Okay. And so if you do make that wormhole jump from one spot to another at a simultaneous time, mm -hmm. there will be reference frames where it, you can actually be seen to emerge from the wormhole before you left. And then you end up getting back down into the whole time travel mess again. Right. Yeah, these are ideas which have been toyed around with. You can imagine um, this wormhole which has which connects our two sheets of two halves of the sheet of paper, and you can start to move the ends of this wormhole. And if you are careful about how you do that, you can actually. The ideas have been played with that you could potentially travel back in time through such a wormhole. Mm. Whether this is actually consistent with, uh, with, with, uh, um, you know, with the equations and the uh, theories, yeah. that's uh, a different question a little bit. This is very speculative. I mean, th I think there are those that feel like the laws of physics will always conspire to make many, a great many things possible, but never something that actually allows you to go and screw causality. And so... These are the two things you really want to set apart, right? You can have, uh, you can think about having wormholes, and then you can think about time travel, where you actually have closed time-like curves, is what the term is. Okay. If you travel forward in, in time along your world line, along your uh, own uh, own history, and eventually you wind up at the same place where you started, and that's where you can really produce uh, causality violations. They play with it in the movie. You could imagine uh, killing your own grandfather, and then you run into into big time trouble, where you basically. Um, one way of, of, of making this consistent uh, potentially would be that you ask, you only allow histories which are self-consistent, mm -hmm. like the, the thing you were playing with, uh, whether the dog wears the, the, the bulletproof vest. vest in the first place, yeah. or whether this changed. Right. If this changed, you run into all sorts of trouble. If you only allow for things which are self-consistent in the sense that uh, they don't create paradoxes, then you would have a very limited kind of time travel which you would allow right right this right. limits what what basically what you, what you can do so i mean that that basically fits into multiverse theory right you know the the theory that you know there are quantum universes that vary on possibilities but any given universe is one that's consistent with all the other quantum states it's just saying that multiverses just get a lot more mucked up if you allow time travel because then you've got to have all the multiverses with all the permutation of all the possible time travel loops <laughs> that somehow never lead to a problem or a paradox. Right. This is one of the things you could look at, right? You could have um, like if the if Marty um, travels back and he sees a copy, a perfect copy of his universe mm -hmm. and he messes with that, that would be consistent, right? He, he pushes his father from the car preventing him to meet his mother right. and you wonder if at that point shouldn't he disappear? 
Oh. If he's traveling back into a copy of his universe, he gets to, to mess around with their future all he wants. And eventually, yeah. perhaps this is not an immediate inconsistency, at least. Mm -hmm. um, but if he travels back into his own past, which we are led to believe, because uh, basically the picture starts to fade. And we get some mild indications that there is some back reaction on his Yeah, own, it seems like they're kind uh, of history, picking and choosing so what yeah. dictates. Yeah, life yeah. ends when your parents don't meet. That's, yeah. that's when he had vanished. But they play with the idea of making people vanish. That's interesting. But if by avoiding, getting him to avoid, uh, getting his dad to avoid meeting his mother and that undoes Marty, shouldn't undo the entire presence of Marty, which includes the point at which he did it. And then you get, that's where the whole paradox arises, yeah. right? Yeah. Why does Marty disappear at that point in the time stream versus why does he just not ever be in the time stream? And then, I think the answer, and then uh, we get to the headaches. Like of, a lot of these is just makes a better film. Dave, they knew that this is what makes the movie good, and it's, uh, we're sticking with it. And it's probably why the universe doesn't allow these mind-numbingly painful paradoxes to occur, because right. then it would have to figure out how to deal with them. If Robert and uh, Christoph here said, we're pretty sure we know how to time travel, or at least a wormhole, we, th we think we got it, would you be willing to be the first participant Me? and jump into their wormhole? <laughs> Um, I don't think so. I'm, uh... <laughs> what if we told you, like, I'm not... oh, our, our friend did it, and he's fine. He's loved it. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Like, okay, we're, we're getting You there. know, just like I'm holding out on Space Hotel, you know how uh, <laughs> right. it's going to be a Space Hotel? Yeah. Uh, uh, that sounds terrible to me, so I'm going to yeah. wait, and I'm going to, you know, read the Yelp reviews. Right, so maybe not first, but you know, second, It seems like a lot trip. of money to spend to have a bad time. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> you know what I mean? A space hotel, I don't think you can go outside to smoke. <laughs> no, no, you would need some sort of big tent or uh, <laughs> greenhouse or something. Um, okay, so Mr. Fusion. Uh, what? Mr. Fusion <laughs> is on the back of the car at the right. end. He puts Randy, puts a banana and a beer yeah. can into this thing. How far are we from that? Can we get energy from random garbage. items? Yeah, from garbage. Because we've got plenty of garbage. Actually, I just saw a, um, an article last week about which contractor was it? Uh, something like some company like Lockheed taking out a patent on a, a, a compact fusion device. Okay. And it was – I was actually trying to decide if that was dated April 1st or not, but it didn't actually seem <laughs> to be. But I have to say when we saw that movie back in the – when it first came out and I was with a bunch of physics majors – that was the scene we all cheered for. The that Mr. was like, Fusion? whoa, Mr. Fusion, yes! Yeah. <laughs> Admittedly, I wish we had the Mr. Fusions, but I am really pissed off. I do not have flying cars right now because Back yeah. to the Future promised me a flying car. I mean, we don't even really have self-driving cars. Those are kind of a mess yeah. from what yeah. I understand. I, I'm scared by those things, and I don't understand. I mean, it's a great line to say, Marty, where we're going, we don't need roads. But uh, that's another thing. Is they still have uh, landing strips everywhere for these cars? They must. You know, there's still yeah. there's still roads. They park it on a street. <laughs> and, and as soon as they get to the future, they're like parked on the side of the street, worried about getting a ticket. That's right. Towed. That's true. Well, well, technically, he said we don't need roads. He didn't right. say that you we don't have roads. The air. No, you can't just leave <laughs> so it. You gotta somewhere. put it on the road. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, they should have had like uh, you know. Um, Tons of uh, parking structures that you could just fly into your spot. Yeah, and just but, leave it know, there hovering. But they just shot on the back lot at Universal. <laughs> it was much easier. Hoped it wouldn't burn down someday. Um, <laughs> okay, last thing here. I, I have a question about the whole lightning, the clock tower scene where we have lightning striking uh, the clock tower and then being uh, 
channeled through this cable into the car. And so how does that work? What's going on? Well, thinking about this podcast actually ruined the movie for me because I managed to <laughs> I managed to ignore somehow in the back of my mind for all of these years that basically that very premise doesn't work because right the, the lightning electricity flows because you have a strong electric field creating basically driving electrons to flow one way or another through uh, through material and the reason a lightning rod works is you basically put a very pleasant-looking conductor up very high in the clouds where the, the electric fields are building up with a nice, clear electrical path down to the ground where, where there's a big reservoir of electrons to flow. And and the thing is, as soon as you connect it to a car, a car is built on what we call an air gap, right? Mm-hmm. The, the car is air-gapped off of the ground, and it's and it has these rubber wheels. And rubber, we, we consider to be insulators, right? Mm. As soon as you connect that line to the car, you actually no longer have a nice path for power to flow. Ooh. And, you, you know, electricity isn't just this thing that you pour into a cup and it sits there, right? Electricity, it does work because it flows through a system. Okay. You know, like like um, like an analogy, like like river, there's a lot of power in, in a raging river, but you don't get that power by building uh, something that just bottles up all the water and it never goes anywhere, right? No, you, you actually build a dam, but you let the water keep flowing, and it's the flowing that turns the turbines, right? Gotcha. Electrical circuits are kind of the same way. The, 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 the electrical current has to flow through something and it does the work on the your flux capacitor or, or alarm clock or whatever it is that you've got in the middle, right? Okay. It's why your electrical plugs have two plugs, not just one, right? It has to go somewhere. And so for that whole flowing the power through the flux capacitor thing to have worked, they would have actually have had to put like, I don't know, like metal chains on the car that, that connected it to the ground so you could finish the circuit and, oh. and flow it down to the ground. Now, that was that was my disillusioning moment in the last weeks. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I can't I can't forget that now. So I had to share it with all of you. Yeah, sorry about that. Jeez. Um, okay, great. Any, uh, any final thoughts? Oh, you- wait. Yeah. Maybe we'll do Back to the Future 2. I think we should. <laughs> That's a great idea. Okay, so let's just take a break and we'll uh, we'll all watch it and then we'll start that up. Um, no, hopefully we get to it soon. I want to thank my guests, Doug Benson, Robert Hurt, Christoph Ullemann. Did I get that right again? Yeah, that was perfect. Wow, I'm really impressed with myself. Yes. Um, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producers are Tom Moles and Sachin Medhecker. A special thanks to Brent Butler, who helped me out on this one. And of course, our executive flux co-producer is Brett Kushner. <laughs> <laughs>